Amen. Hey, once again, you can read. That's right. It's exciting. How many of you guys can read? Say amen. amen. Hey, praise God. You can read. Uh, World Religions, Cults of the Occults, where we're at our 5,322-year study. Who's counting? I am. And we are actually at that point where we're at voodoo vampires and the rise of demon worship. After 20 weeks of witchcraft and 16 weeks of Satanism, who's counting? I am. Let's just deal with it. We've been dealing with the existence of demons, the character of demons, the tactics, and the history. Why? Because we got, well, how in the world do we get in this mess? We're not just in the world, even the church. They're actually seeking demonic input, demonic direction, okay? Uh, out, not, and not the Bible. It's crazy. It's not, uh, nuts. It's not just, again, the world. It's the church. Well, we did a whole history on how that came into the church. We also took a look at, unfortunately, the enemy doesn't stop there. If he can't get you with spiritualism, he just branches off, repackages all kinds of occult stuff, spiritualism, demon worship, all that stuff, into different packages. We saw the first one, of course, was voodoo. Then we saw the next one. If he can't get you with that, he'll get you with shamanism, okay? Then if he can't get you with that, he'll get you with druidism. And then last time we started, that's right, even vampires. And you go, you got to be kidding me. Is that really going on? Yes, it's going on and it's spreading. And uh, we're going to see that uh, in action again tonight. Okay. But again, we saw, well, so let's break that one down. The first thing we dealt with it was the history of vampirism. What we saw, this is nothing new under the sun. A lot of people see, well, this history of uh, vampires, uh, it all started back, you know, with uh, the vampire movies. <laughs> it goes all the way back uh, to the Tower of Babel, right? And spread from there. And we'll see that in a second. But it also, uh, is nothing new under the sun. It's still practiced today, as we saw, with the Catholic belief that drinking actual blood is somehow going to give you spiritual benefit. That really is what vampirism is really all about. Uh, and if you put those two and two together. So we took a look at, well, are you serious? It started way back then in the Babylon? Yeah, 200 years after the flood we saw last time, they were at it again, and all kinds of occult behavior, including vampirism. And then when God confused the languages, they took it all with them around the world. Not just voodoo, not just shamanism, witchcraft, Satan worship, all that stuff, but and the cult and all that stuff, but even vampirism. And so we broke it down. Babylon Empire, again, 200 years after the flood. Do you think that would have gotten their attention to say, hey, let's not do evil again? And yet they were already back at it. Okay, the first one that we saw in uh, the type of vampire in Babylon was the ekamu, means to literally be snatched away. Uh, these didn't so much drink blood, they had a belief in these things, uh, but they were the ones that sucked out people's life force. And we saw that's exactly the same premise with the Dementors in the Harry Potter series. The next Babylonian vampire was the Uruku or the Etuka. And basically, that word, those words mean a vampire that attacks a man. And again, they said, if you just look into the eyes of one of these things, you're doomed. And again, that's the same kind of thing that's propagated even today. Nothing new under the sun. Don't look in the gaze of the vampire. That's where it came from. The next one was the seven demons. Now, this is the more traditional one. They believe that these critters literally did drink human blood. Uh, they, quote, fed on human blood. Then had a female version we saw, uh, Lamashtu. Okay, which is, uh, uh, again, uh, that uh, was, uh, uh, they had the practice of not just she's a female vampire, but that there were certain amulets that you had to wear to ward them off. And again, that's another Catholicized practice, unbelief, uh, uh, unbiblical behavior uh, that you got to use a cross. And, and you got to use, uh, you know, something like that, uh, uh, holy water uh, to ward off a vampire. Nothing new under the sun. That was way back then. They had another uh, uh, female vampire called Lilith, 
We took some time, a little detour to explain, because some people in witchcraft and feminism say, well, she was the first wife of Adam. No, that's not biblical at all. That came from witchcraft and feminism. Uh, but they, they try to justify it, but it's not true. Then we taught, saw the last type of Babylonian Empire. Again, 200 years after the flood. Nothing new under the sun, and that was these critters, of uh, Kalakas, however you pronounce it. And what also included with these things were basically zombies. So even the whole zombie thing is nothing new 200 years after the flood with that. As well as, believe it or not, garlic. Garlic, back in those days, was used uh, for these kind of things as well. So again, nothing new on the sun. This vampires we're seeing today is just rehash, repackaged. Once again, another branch of Satan's brain. And it's just making a heyday uh, comeback uh, for a couple different reasons. We'll see that, Lord willing, in just a little bit. So we sped up, right? Well, well, how did, how did it get so popular into now books and movies and stuff of that nature? Well, we sped up to this guy, Vlad the Impaler in the 1400s. Uh, this was a real guy. Uh, some people say this is where uh, the Dracula books inspiration came from because he was from Transylvania, Romania, and his favorite way to kill enemies was to impale them with a wooden stake. And he enjoyed dining amidst his dying victims by dipping his bread in their blood. So there could have been inspiration, but it wasn't just him. We saw that these stories of vampires are all over the world in just about every culture, just like witchcraft, just like voodoo, just like shamanism. Vampires are all over the world. Okay, And then, so we took a look at, well, what really started it, right, prior to the movies? Well, before movies came out, there was books. And these two books was really in the 1800s, vampires, spelled with a P-Y-R-E, we'll see that again tonight, and Dracula was really what started the craze for this. And it unfortunately has not stopped, but now it's led to high-tech technology Hollywood uh, brainwashing people into this serious occult practice where people literally are not just watching this. Now, because they've been watching this, they want to be a real vampire. And I quote, people who call themselves vampires do exist. They're, quote, normal-seeming people, but they drink blood in effort to stay healthy. Quote, whole communities of self-identified uh, identified vampires can be found not just on the internet, but in cities and towns around the world. Do you think this goes on in Vegas? If you think it doesn't, um, I'm going to get a t-shirt on Sunday, and I'm going to wear it that says, I love chicken. <laughs> and you know that's never going to happen, and that's not true. Folks, this stuff goes on all over the place. My, most modern vampires keep to themselves, conduct their feeding rituals, drinking blood uh, in private, but they're really doing this stuff. Some vampires claim to feed on the energy of others. Uh, and many say, quote, if they don't feed regularly, they become agitated or depressed. Because the last thing you want is an agitated, depressed vampire, apparently. But again, you think, oh, come on. This is no, there's no, people aren't really doing this. Yeah, they are. Let me give you another quick example. It's still happening to this day. Right now, I'm outside of Old Town Hall in Salem, Massachusetts, the famous witch city. Salem is, of course, famous for the 1692 witch trials. But over the past few centuries, the city has come to truly embrace and accept the witch. It's now a mecca for the occult, and it's home to hundreds of real witches who practice ancient and modern magic. Salem's become like a safe haven for alternative belief systems, including Satanism. And among the witches, wizards, and Satanists, Salem is also home to real vampires. And we're about to meet them. Now, I don't really know what it means to be a real vampire. Does that mean that they're drinking blood, sleeping in a coffin, they're at war with a werewolf? There must be a reason why these people are practicing this lifestyle of vampirism, as they call it. There's some deeper meaning to why these people are doing this. Welcome, come on in. 
smells so good. It always smells good in the vampire house. Wow. We burn a lot of incense in here. So this is our um, one of our ritual spaces. We also use this for meditations every Saturday morning. I feel like I stepped into another universe. <laughs> like I feel like I stepped into just vampire land. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like crazy. a lot of what we do is like vibe, you know, it's like that's the feeling that we want people to have when they come in here because then that puts you in a space that we need you to be in. From what I understand, this is almost a private club for the vampire community. This one here is is private membership only, yeah. I was curious, how does somebody become a vampire? So the first piece of it is really just realizing that you already have it. So I think everybody's kind of waiting for that like aha moment or being turned or like whatever you want to call it. But it's really something that you already have and once you realize that then you realize that you're already a vampire anyway. So I could become a vampire? In like five minutes if that's what you want. Well maybe we could do that today. We can do that today. <laughs> So this is our private reading room. We do individual readings in here, private consults in here. We've also had a wedding ceremony in here. What is a vampire wedding like? It's called the blood and roses ceremony. Um, for my ceremonies, I do use actual roses, which is really nice. And the couple gets bound with the roses on their arms and it's really pretty. Is there blood involved too? There can be, um, depending on the client. Most people that drink blood, they're called sanguines. They use like a small lancet or prick or something. Most people that are sanguine are just doing it either ritualistically, sexually, or and it's just a small amount just to kind of get what they need and like... It's like a consensual yes. ritual for life force energy. Yeah. So it's all about energy, increasing your personal energy. Yeah. How did you both become real vampires? I um, never really truly felt like I fit in in kind of like the, the white light community or the kind of darker witchcraft community. And for me, this was kind of a beautiful balance of being able to use energy and witchcraft together and I absolutely love the lifestyle stuff and all of the philosophies and everything behind it. Going on today, notice it's in Salem, Massachusetts. That's not one of them. Notice it's, it's, it's a blend. It's a blend of, okay, it's vampirism, but really is it's a blend of the same occult practices and all the other ones that we've already seen, right? But it's, it's just another alternative, quote, path, spiritual path that people have taken, uh, rejecting, of course, uh, the baloney that's going on in the church today. But you hear, well, how can this be? Quote, vampires became mainstream after Dracula was published, and since then, Count Dracula's legendary persona has been the topic of many films, many books, and TV shows. Given the fascination people have with all things horror, including vampires, okay, they are likely to continue to inhabit the earth for years to come. Again, it's just another branch from Satanism. And so that's why we're going to take a look at it. She goes, well, how do they get into this? Well, there's a belief system that we're now going to expose, how people get into this, okay? It's still in existence and it's spreading. But before we do that, again, as always, let's go to God's Word and see what He says about drinking blood. This time, last time was the Old Testament. This time, shocker, He mentions it in the New Testament. Let's take a look at what was going on with that practice. Acts 15 is our opening text tonight. Acts 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, then pop down to the conclusion in 19 and 21. Acts uh, uh, is uh, where we're going to be, uh, chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem. Uh, how many guys are Gentile? How many guys are not Jewish? Okay, that means you're a Gentile, because that's what a Gentile is, right? So in this stage, the early church, Jesus rose from the grave, the church started Acts chapter 2. 
They finally, because God, they didn't start doing what he said to do. You're going to be my witnesses where? Jerusalem. But then what? You're supposed to spread out. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, they stayed in Jerusalem. So God used, yeah, he works all things together for good. He used persecution to finally get them to spread out because the good news is for everybody, not just the Jews, everybody. Sure enough, the Gentiles, non-Jews, started getting saved. And, and by the truckloads uh, upon hearing the gospel, they're filled with the Holy Spirit of salvation, just like the Jewish people. But uh, some of the Jewish Christians who were raised their whole life with this Old Testament mosaic law thing, and these restrictions, dietary restrictions, they're thinking, well, these guys need to keep them too. And that's where they had a church council and said, no, 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 because now you're adding to the cross of Christ, right? So you guys are going to have to work through that, even though you're raised at that. And I know this is new. It's the New Testament, the new covenant, but it's just Jesus. That's it, right? But, he give, but they give them practical tips to keep peace in the church. That's our context. Let's take a look at it. And believe it or not, one of the issues was drinking blood. Right? Acts 15, that's where we're at. Since men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching uh, the brothers, some men, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Stop right there. That would be a works-based salvation. So it's Jesus and then I got to get circumcised. Or it's Jesus and I got to stop bowling. Or it's Jesus and I can't drink coffee or tea. It's Jesus and, you know, people do that. That's legalism. And that's not just legalism. That is it's Catholicism. I, I got to keep the seven sacraments. On and on it goes. That's legalism. It's Jesus, period. So this was a serious issue. They got hey, they to keep. No. Right? So what happened? This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dis, uh, dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. That's kind of where the headquarters of the church. That's where it started at that point. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles, who's that? The non-Jewish, that's us, had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So they said, okay, well, again, they're living this live, right? They're living this live in the book of Acts. It's a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. You know, I go, how could they ever do that? We got 2,000 years of recorded history to look back and see what was true. They're living it live. And praise God, they recorded it for us. But this is what they said. So the apostles and the elders met to consider this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know, some time ago, God had made a choice among you that the Gentiles might uh, hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? In other words, you, the, you, you know this. You, you tried to keep the law, but you couldn't keep the law. That's why we needed Jesus. We needed a Savior. So if we couldn't keep the law in the first place, why are you saying they got to keep it now? That's why he says, no. We believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are, all right? So then pop down to verse 19, the conclusion, all right? So it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food, polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from what? Blood. Why? Because Moses has been preached, 
in every city from the earliest times, and it's read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So there it is. Once you get saved, if you're going to maintain your salvation, you've got to stop eating food polluted from idols, sexual morality, meat strangled from angles, and don't be drinking blood. No, because that's not what's going on here. Right? The text very clearly says we are saved in faith by grace. And that was the issue that's going on. So what's going on here? It's a matter of not using your Christian liberty to be a stumbling block to another person. Acts 15 addresses the question that they had. Wait a second, man. These Gentiles are getting saved. And, uh, and then the Jewish guys that were used to keeping the Mosaic law, who had already been circumcised, said, well, well how come they don't have to do that? They, they need to do that. And that was the question that came up. So they concluded, quote, what? No, Gentiles did not need to follow the Mosaic law. You guys couldn't keep it in the first place. None of us can keep it in the first place. And not only that, circumcision is therefore not a part of salvation. None of it is. It's Jesus, period. And we've said this before. The basic biblical rule is this. It's just Jesus, period. That's the gospel. You believe in what he's done. That's it. It's by grace through faith. That's it. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if anybody comes to you and they fill in the blank, if they say, oh, yeah, it's Jesus and mm, it's Jesus or mm, it's Jesus, but you got no, it's Jesus. And that's what they're reiterating here. However, in verse 29, they gave some instructions and you got to get this in the context where people say, oh, see this, you got you got to stay away from it. No, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, meat, strangled animals, sexual immorality. Quote, you'll do well to avoid these things. These four commands, listen, dealt with. Here's the whole point. Pagan practices at that time from the Gentiles, and specifically that was involved with idolatry, okay? All four of those things was pagan practices centered around idolatry, okay? Most, if not all, the Gentile converts that were getting saved came straight out of this, this paganism that was involved in this. Therefore, the leaders said to make, you need to, number one, make a clean break from these things, that's a good thing, right? You're not saved by it, but if you got saved out of that and it was pagan, it was evil, why would you continue in that? So that's number one. Number two, they were encouraged to stay away from it to not offend their Jewish brothers and sisters. Okay, because that was, that was something that was, they're living it live. They're still getting used to, wait a second, you mean I'm, I don't have to keep the Mosaic law? No, God now has written his law in your hearts, the Holy Spirit. You don't live by means of a bunch of rules and regulations that they had taken the Ten Commandments and cranked it up to, what, 633 commands that they didn't even keep and they put loopholes in to cheat? Remember all that stuff we did, all that? Because we all got that study we did on Judaism memorized, right? Preachers can dream. But anyway, so anyway, but, <laughs> but anyway, so no, right? You couldn't keep those. And so, but they're living it live. So they're having to let that go and appreciate the freedom that Christ has won for us with these guys who were never under that yoke. Right? And so they're, they're, tr they're trying to do that. And so it wasn't for the Gentile's sake. It was for the Jewish brothers and sisters who weren't quite there yet in their knowledge of the freedom and the liberty that we have in Christ okay, uh, to refrain from that because for the sake of their conscience. Paul deals with the same thing, if you're familiar with Romans uh, in 14, and he talks about the meat offered to idols. We talked about this before. And you go, what's the big deal about meat offered to idols? Because basically the meat... Again, strangled meat, blood. That was a pagan practice, idolatry in their temples, right? And there was another ruckus that Paul had to deal with the Corinthian church in that context, similar to this. And some of the, the, the new believers are going like, I don't know we should be eating that meat. I mean, that was meat offered to an idol. And Paul, basically what they did back in the day, the meat that was offered to idols, the priests of that pagan temple, 
They couldn't eat it all. So they would set up a shop in the back of the temple and basically sell it at a cut-rate price. So the Christians, being good stewards, would be going like, it's just a piece of meat because you know what? It's just a piece of meat. That's all it is, right? And an idol is nothing. It's a piece of wood covered with gold or silver, whatever. It's nothing. Scripture is very clear about that. So uh, basically, they would go and say, if I could get a steak over here and pay top dollar, I'd get the exact same cut of steak, half price over here. Which one would you get? Of course, that's what we're doing. And so the, the, it started to cause a ruckus because some people, what, where'd you get that? What? You got that from meat sacrifice, from the idol? I can't eat that. And so Paul's argument was, listen, even though we have liberty to do that, because it's just a piece of meat, it's not a big deal. Right? For the sake of your brother, even though you have liberty, don't do that to him. Right? In other words, you show up and say, hey, brand new Christian, how are you doing? How's that steak? Mm. Have another bite. Maybe three more. And then you drop the bomb. I got it at a pagan practice. <laughs> and they're going to, ah, don't do that to them. Even though, again, it's just a piece of meat. They're not there yet. And they're understanding. They're still babies, still growing. The Jewish people, same thing. They're still trying to let go of this mosaic law thing. Right? And, and Paul's argument in both cases is, listen, listen. Even though you could do it, it's, it's don't do it. It's not because you're trying to add to the cross. Of course not. You're refraining for the sake of not offending a brother for peace in the church. So in short, today, if you order a steak, rare or well done, it's a matter of liberty. It's a matter of consciousness. Eating black pudding. Blood sausage. Ooh. Okay. May not appeal to everyone, but if you eat it, it's, it's not a sin because it's, that's not what you're doing. That's, you're not involved in that stuff, okay? We live under grace. New Testament Christian, we have freedom from the law. We're to stand firm in that liberty. Galatians chapter 5, we are not under the law, but grace. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. What defiles a person is not what goes on the inside. It's the stuff that comes out. That's the biblical rule, all right? But... If we're going to be around somebody, they're not quite there yet in their knowledge and maturity and understanding the Lord. We don't force them to go through that for the sake of their conscience. You get it? That's what's going on there. But here's my whole point in bringing up that text. Uh, this was a real practice. Drinking blood was a real practice. That's why it became an issue. Right? They got saved. The Gentiles got saved out of this. Because it wasn't just offering meat to the idols. Part of their pagan worship was drinking of blood or being having your whole body completely poured, quote, baptized in blood. It was pretty gross. And so this was a big issue, right, is my whole point in bringing this up. But here's my point. Guess what? They did it back in the day because they felt they were uh, part of a spiritual group, that they were going to get a spiritual benefit. Now, here's my point. This is what's going on today with vampirism. It's an old-fashioned pagan practice being repeated again today, okay? And again, if you don't think that they're doing this today, including drinking blood, you're kidding yourself. Uh, it's still happening today. Let me give you another example. This time from Voodoo Land. Shocker. The first one was Salem Witchcraft. This one is from New Orleans. So, But again, notice it all blends together, doesn't it? But watch this today, what's going on, whether we realize it or not. New Orleans, Louisiana, 2019. My name is Balthazar Shawnee Sutton. Most of my friends call me Zar. 
54 years old, been drinking blood since I was 11, and a sanguine vampire. At 11 years old, things started changing for me. I was short, round, and always sickly. And one of my uncles that was big and tall and strong was picking on us, me and my sister. And something snapped. And I went charging. And he was bigger and stronger, and he pinned my arms down to my side. And then I just kind of reared my head back and bit him. He was wearing a coat. I bit through the coat, through his shirt, and into his flesh enough that I could actually taste blood. Like, lots of blood. Once that blood hit my tongue, it was like I suddenly came alive. Do I really need the blood? I do. And I've gone without for lengths of time just to see what would happen. I'm the kind of person that it physically shows on. My skin will get ashy, my eyes will be dull and glazed. It literally physically shows on me. Unlike mythical vampires who can turn themselves into bats, modern day vampires admit to having to obey physical laws. Because he can't exactly fly in through someone's bedroom window for a quick bite, Balthazar has devised sanitary methods to suck blood from his victims. He finds victims who are willing to feed him. Hello. I like to think I have a pretty good grasp on human vampirism after now 10 years of doing field work, but I realized very quickly that the only thing that real vampires are more secretive about than themselves are their donors. They have to hide in the shadows because almost no one ever believes them when they say that they feel the need to consume human blood. I use a clean technique. I'll clean the area on the donor. Honestly, alcohol swabs always leave a funny taste afterwards. I make sure that the blade is new every time. You ready? Ready. More often than not, I'll use the back side of the shoulders. I poke a series of holes, and those holes actually provide me enough. There we go. You ready? Yeah. And I stopped it right there because you don't need to see the rest of that joke. But this is going on today, folks. Oh, look at that guy walking down the street. You have no clue what's going on. Look at that group of kids walking out. You have no clue what's going on. Hey, what are those people all dressed up kind of weird in Vegas just having fun at this? What? What's going on? It's another branch, folks, that is escalating thanks to Hollywood. Shocker. Okay. And we need to wake up and deal with it. Again, this is what we're dealing with, the beliefs of vampirism. Now, let's get into a couple definitions as we get into the, to the beliefs. You got a couple different spellings, and they, in theory, in the culture, mean a couple different things. You got vampire uh, spelled I-R-E or R-E, okay? And vampire I-R-E, uh, vampirism, is the one who holds a belief in vampires, engages in uh, specifically blood-sucking a vampire, P-Y-R-E, uh, is the subculture, they say, we're the real deal. Uh, we're not like that folklore version, whatever. We really do this. So uh, when you see the spelling with the Y, 
in that culture, they say, no, we're really doing this. This is what we're doing. So again, kind of like witchcraft. Oh, that's just, uh, oh, oh, no, it's just Wicca, right? So vampire, oh, yeah, that's that fake stuff. You know, you saw in the movies. No, this is, this is the real deal, spelled with a Y. Just, uh, that's from their community. While most uh, people place vampirism in the realm of fantasy, vampire subculture has developed and has taken an interest even further into real-life practices. And I quote, why? This is secular articles. The growing interest is because of stories like the Twilight Saga. Shocker are helping to produce a society where they are seeing real vampires emerge from underground and into the daylight. University professor Adam uh, Pasami said that the growing number of vampires was an example of, and this is his word, he said, it's a new faith. This is a religion now. It's an occult religion. Another one, shocker. Drawing on popular culture to create their own beliefs. In other words, basically because of the influence of these vampire media and books and movies, they're creating a real pagan religion out of it again. He said, quote, people had been interested in vampires since the 1970s, but now they're interested in their superhuman abilities because that's how it's depicted. Remember we saw the trailer from Twilight, the first movie out of five, and they say they're going to do more. Okay, what was even just in the trailer? He stopped that car from hitting that girl, you know, whatever, and put a big giant dent as the superpower, and they could do this. And all. People are, in a quote, they're looking to them for now acquiring superhuman capabilities. So basically, as we saw with the, our Klaus Schwab study, just as the Marvel movies, the X-Men movies, and all these, you can have be genetically modified, turn into a superhero. Kids literally now want that and expect that with science and technology. Okay, now the same thing with vampires. They say, well, that was just kind of cool, but, but, but man, I can have those superpowers. And dare I say, one of the big themes they think they're getting from this is this is a pathway to immortality. Kid you not. They really think this is going to lead towards immortality. It's a complete religion uh, today. Uh, some groups have developed have become quite active on the internet, but now the vampire, because of Hollywood, is no longer a monster that's got to be destroyed. They are now a superhuman type of character that people aspire to become and, quote, realize their full potential. So if you want to be all you can be, don't join the army, become a vampire. It's literally what's going on. My question as we continue forward now is, where's the church? Where's the church in all this? What is this? This is a new faith. Hollywood's producing a new faith. It's really old-fashioned paganism. You can go back to even what we just said in the New Testament. They dealt with it there. You can go back to Babylon. I get that. But in our generation, it's a new faith. Why aren't they turning to Christ? Where's the Christian? Oh, that's right. You will never talk about stuff that we've been dealing with. You'll never even mention witchcraft or Satanism or voodoo or shamanism, Druidism, now vampire. Oh, no! Learn how to be a better you. Be financially successful. Be all you can be. Live your best life now. It almost sounds like a vampire. <laughs> Maybe he is. I don't know. He's kind of pale, but I just I digress. <laughs> Where's the church? How is it that we got droves of people now turning to a new faith called vampirism? It's nuts. And again, I'm telling you, it's because churches aren't equipped. Churches don't care. And as we're going to see, churches are taking part of it. Vampirism, quote, technically, it's a leaderless culture. There's no set of consistent beliefs, but let's talk about some commonalities in the groups. Some look at the vampire as a romantic hero, a rebel, a master of dark powers, a predator, an outcast, somebody who's immortal. 
Some say drinking blood is a part of it. Others say, well, we just feed off the psychic energies. Again, like the Harry Potter demeanor, <laughs> suck the life force out of you. Okay? Others may believe that a vampire is an individual who can do anything they want. That's what vampirism, which again is what? The exact same core belief of witchcraft, Satanism, voodoo, shamanism, druidism. It's all about you. You make it up as you go. You can do whatever you want. That's another reason why people get attracted to this. Right? Those involved in the practices may do one or more of the following. Blood drinking, sleeping in coffins, avoiding daylight, performing occult rituals, engaging in unusual sexual practices, taking drugs, wearing fangs, or having your teeth sharpened to look like a vampire, like this lady. Meet Mexico's vampire woman. Maria Jose Cristerna is a 36-year-old businesswoman and mother of four. Not only is her body almost completely covered in tattoos and piercings, but she also sports sets of titanium horns and dentally implanted fangs. Maria says her body modifications are an expression of the freedom she felt after years in an abusive first marriage. Aside from being an advocate of abuse victims and a busy mom, she also runs a tattoo, jewelry, and clothing shop. Last year, Maria was invited to participate in international tattoo conventions in Colombia and Venezuela. And soon anyone will be able to get a glimpse of this vampire woman. Ripley's Believe It or Not recently cast her body to create life-size replicas which will be displayed in Ripley's museums around the world. Yeah, this is movie stuff, it's just entertainment, man. Has no effect on people, right? It's just entertainment, that's all it is. Who is also a big part of this culture? Tattoos, that whole th scene is another one that's a part of that. Again, where's the church in this? Another way to understand the beliefs of vampirism is you got to look at their rituals, the practices, the clans, and the symbols. We're going to take a look at all four of those real quick. From dietary habits, get to that in a second, that's pretty wild, to spiritual ceremonies, these activities are embedded deeply within the culture surrounding vampires, direct quote, providing insight to what makes this religion unique, right? So let's start off with the rituals, right? So what do you do? This is actually a, a real photo of a vampire ritual, okay? Uh, the first thing they want you to do with their rituals is you got to, if you want to get into this new faith, then you have to go through an initiative process. You got to have an initiative ritual. What's that? Well, uh, it begins with the individual seeking, quote, occult knowledge. Then they perform a blood sacrifice to symbolize the spiritual path, quote unquote, that you're going to be journeying on now. This can be done alone or in groups, depending on the person. You could whatever you feel comfortable with. Afterwards, vampires often use rituals as a, uh, such as a meditation. You saw that on the tape with the one girl. So again, get into an altered state of consciousness to help them connect to this newfound spirituality by, quote, dedicating themselves fully to this practice. Uh, it will allow them to connect with this, quote, unique community. And ultimately, these initiation rituals create powerful bonds. Listen, uh, with not just the other new initiates, but the other vampires who've been around for years to offer what? Strength, guidance, and support through their new journey. Where's the church? Where's the church saying, hey, no, no, dude, don't go down that route. No, no, no. Hey, listen, come to Christ. Hey, we're here for you. We're going to help you. We're going to offer strength and guidance and support. We know you're having a hard time, man, but turn to Christ. He's a, where's the church? 
or again, this is what I was saying. This is what I, I, hopefully you're, you're, you're catching my drift in some of these studies. What if we ran into that lady? Will we just laugh at her or mock her? Or will we say, hey, 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 you got a second? That's pretty wild. Whoa. Let me tell you about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? Would we actually do that? And that's where I hope with our studies we get to the point. We don't shun anybody, folks. I don't care what they're involved in. Because every person is a person. They're not just people. That's a soul. That's a soul in danger of hell. They just chose one of the multitude of many paths that Satan has out there. Take your list to keep them away from the one way out of this mess through Jesus. And we're in the gap. So we need to get equipped to reach these people no matter what. But that's just the first ritual. Uh, You got your initiation ritual. But then you move on to what's called the blood ritual. Once the initiation is complete, the vampire's journey into the new lifestyle. That's a word we hear all the time. That's my chosen lifestyle. Right? Uh, you go to the blood ritual. Now, these involve exchanging and ingesting blood from each other and exchanging energy between themselves. By doing this, vampires believe they can access greater occult knowledge and gain protection from the evil spirits out there, which is an oxymoron. Who do you think's behind all this, right? Furthermore, drinking another vampire's blood symbolizes to them the unity and trust and loyalty that is essential for the community. And through these uh, rituals, the vampires get a glimpse of the power of this culture as they're immersed into this new way of life. But that's just the rituals. Let's break down some passages. So you went through the initiation thing, right? Uh, You you started the blood rituals, which is a big part of it. What's the practices? What do you do then? You're just getting started. You're just getting connected. Well, quote, how do you become a vampire? If you're interested, uh, several steps must be taken after the initiation ritual. First and foremost, there is, and I quote, this is from them, the new vampire diet. Hey, stick to the keto, shmito, South Beat, whatever. Don't do the vampire diet. I don't care how much you want to lose weight. Don't do the vampire diet. But listen to this. And I quote, this is a direct quote. This was crazy. I couldn't believe this. Here's the, here's the vampire diet. This is what you got to do after you go through the initiation ritual. Blend. <clears throat> this consists, the vampire diet, of, listen, direct quote, abstaining from certain foods, such as pork, dairy, real meat, and adhering to an organic diet of fresh fruits and veggies. What is that? That's the whole vegan movement, man. It's nothing's new or sun. In fact, believe it or not, you, don't recommend this, but you... Need to know, you now have, they have a new vampire game out there uh, encouraging folks to not just go along with vampirism, but the new vegan vampire diet. Watch this. Just came out this year.
Uh, get on your wish list now. Don't want to miss out on that deal for your kids. Because it's just entertainment. It has no effect on them whatsoever. We haven't even begun to touch with all the occult stuff that we've talked about. Again, back up to witchcraft, back up to Satanism, spiritualism, voodoo, shamanism, druidism, now vampirism. We haven't even touched really another huge influence, not just Hollywood and the media, but the whole gaming community. Massive, mega occult. We, uh, the handful of times we're actually in the shop uh, with Rebecca and Billy, we're just trying to look for something to play. And there's like virtually nothing. <laughs> it's all occult. Uh, what was that last one? We was some guy that was a sack or something running around and erasing <laughs> like stupid stuff. But there's nothing. The bulk of the game, and this is a billion dollar industry. And parents, oh, hey, what are you playing? Oh, just a little game I got. Just came out, mom. Okay. Supper's in an hour. They have no clue. And you wonder why this stuff is spreading. Now, back to the phrase, the vegan vampire diet. The, the, and this is their quote. This consists of abstaining from certain foods. Folks, what is that? God said that's a sign that you're living in the last days. Watch this, 1 Timothy 4. And that's a direct quote. They, they, it's crazy. The Spirit clearly says in latter times that some will abandon the faith and follow what? Deceiving spirits and things what? Taught by demons. What? Yeah, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. And here's what they do. They forbid people to marry and they order them to what? Abstain from certain foods. That's a direct quote. It's exact phrase in vampirism. That's a sign you're in the last days. And they say this in the practices. They say, hey, listen, achieving immortality is not easy. It requires dedication, discipline, and perseverance over time. You know, like Catholicism and Jehovah's Witnesses, and Mormonisms, and all the other ones that say you got to work your way, do these things, say this, do this, don't do that, whatever, instead of by grace through faith in the cross of Christ. It's just another false path. Now, and this is from them, not me. What's the consequences of being a vampire? Listen to what they say. Becoming a vampire has long been thought to be shrouded in mystery and power. But there are serious consequences for those who make this choice. Those considering becoming a vampire must consider their own ethical beliefs as well as the blood rituals involved in taking part in such an existence. While being immortalized may be tempting, it's important to understand that this decision can have far greater implications than many realize when committing. Yeah, it's called going to hell. Crazy, they even admit. Now, what do you do after that? So you got the initial ritual, you got to initiate into this, you got the blood ritual thing, you start doing these practices, you got the new diet thing going on, right? And things of that nature. What do you do? Well, you need to get a part of a clan, right? This is basically their version, and the cult does it. Witches do it, they call it a coven. Satanism, all the cult, but they want to get together just like us. It's basically their version of a church. Gathering around like-minded people. Quote, additionally, one may need to join a, quote, local vampire court. To gain access to other vampires who already practice this lifestyle. Uh, and uh, it's also known as you need to engage into the vampire subculture. Okay? The vampire subculture has been steadily growing in recent years. And it's diverse community, shifting identities and beliefs found within its ranks. In other words, you just make it up as you go. You can do whatever you want, just like all the other ones. This subculture can be linked with the elements of the, quote, occult, such as divination, astrology, alchemy, and magical, spelled with a K, that refers to black magic. It's all bad, but that's black magic. Practices, and that's what you saw in the interview there. 
That's what you saw both interviews there with the vampires, the guy and the girl, then the one guy sucking the blood uh, on the guy's back. They were what? The guys had the tarot cards out there, the one and the, the occult practice. It's all, it's all blended together. Many organizations support the vampire lifestyle, including secret societies. Are there people in our government who drink blood? Yeah, you don't want to miss, Lord willing, next week's study. That's our big finale. Secret societies dedicated to exploring dark rites. Although the vampire subculture may seem mysterious and even intimidating at first glance, it's quite welcoming and inclusive. It's tolerant. It accepts anybody doing anything. Again, it's exactly on every single one of these. That's why they get so attracted. I can do whatever I want with whoever I want. I can be whatever I want. I can do what nobody can tell me what to do. And I get to be a part of people who are doing the same thing. It's a seduction. Many members find solace in connecting with like-minded individuals in a vampire subculture. So again, it's basically the church. Now, they got different subcultures, different styles, different flavors. Okay. Uh, one of the cultures is these folks, the golf subculture. Varied culture. Not every goth is into vampirism, but as we're going to see, a lot of them are. Goth is reported to be an artistic movement around music and fashion. Some say the goth culture is so diverse it defies definition. Uh, goths are typically stereotyped, but it means different things to different goths. So you can't say that they're all vampires, but you're going to see a large community of them are. It goes with the package. Quote, you've seen them in the parks at the mall wearing black nail polish and lipstick and ripped tights and combat boots. Some have purple hair, strange tattoos. Others hang out in cemeteries, listen to music and lyrics all about death. These are the goth kids or teenagers or people who differently dress, but they're, quote, often, often are secretly or openly obsessed with the occult. And when asked the question, why all the black? Most of them will tell you, quote, we don't exist to you anyway. Black is a way of being on the other side. It is a way of separating. It is up to the individual to decide what goth is for themselves. The mentality is, I want to be left alone, but I want to be seen. I want to see the shock on other people's faces. So maybe that's all it is. But for a lot of them, it's a pathway into vampirism. And I quote, others take the movement to another level. For them, it is a belief system, then a trend, and they are into witchcraft, and they believe they are vampires. Like this goth couple. Watch this. If I, if I would get the opportunity to, I would turn you to a vampire today. Who wouldn't want to live forever? Yeah, they, they drink blood. <laughs> Do they? It takes me around 30 minutes to get ready in the morning. <clears throat> usually, Victoria takes around three hours to get ready. So I'm usually ready and just waiting for a while or make breakfast. I am very slow with my makeup. I love to look like pale. I like to look like a vampire, like a pale as a vampire. Uh, so that's my fir first routine. My name is Victoria Lovelace and I'm a magical vampire princess. I am Rocco Grotesque, a multi-instrumentalist uh, musician and I live, currently live in Los Angeles. 
I always liked the vampire aesthetic, like when it comes to clothes, like when it comes to home decor, uh, like er everything. I always like when I stay young. Stop the aging. Yeah, stop the aging. Like vampires don't yeah, age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, vampire doesn't age, and that's what I want to be. If I, if I would get the opportunity to be a vampire, I, like, I, w I would turn you to a vampire today, and you're gonna live forever. I want to live forever, so I would, I would take the opportunity to do that. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a vampire and be able to fly at night or, you know, drink blood and all that? Yeah. Um, I think uh, everything that comes with it, or what Hollywood has made of it, it just makes it so attractive for us, yeah. you know, like, I mean, who wouldn't want to live forever, you know? I like more ugly, like Beauty and the Beast, you know, she's very beautiful, and uh, I just always try to go for like an uglier look, I guess, it's just my thing. Since I was young, maybe like around 12, 13, I always been obsessed with the white face, I've been uh, obsessed with like the dead, cemeteries. So I start very early and my mother told me that I wanted to look like a princess and that was 100%, 24-7. They got permanent fangs a couple of years ago. So I have them forever now and that's, I'm very happy with that because that's making me feel like my self-expression for my style. Well, since I was a kid, I've always watched like Horror movies, I always liked like Nosferatu, vampire movies, Dracula. I became obsessed more with like vampires dressing in black. So for me, it was like, well, may I go to a funeral every day, you know? Like, you know, it's just, I, it's, it's my comfort zone. How many times you say, I want to live forever? I want to live forever. Well, you can, but we all are. It's either heaven or hell, but you can go to the good place one way. So there's this, you can hear them. There's a spiritual element to what they're doing. They're on the wrong path. I'll pose the question again. Where's the church? Go to this. You're walking down. This is Southern California these guys are at. You're walking down the street. You see them. What are you going to do? Pastor, really, I'd pull out a track and witness. Of course you're going to say the right thing. But what would you really do? Go the other way? Like, oh, kids. Or would you say, man, Jesus. Use me to witness to them. They're on a false path. Because we know what's going on. And what did they both say? What was the big influence? The medium. The medium. And yet Christians are going like, I can't wait for that next Twilight movie. In the goth culture, again, they're not all vampires. A lot of them, though, get down, down to that. But not only that, Satanism. Some practice Satanism, drink blood. They mutilate their own bodies. These teenage vampires are stalking high school corridors, city streets. Their fangs, uh, are, they cultivate a taste for human blood. For almost all these, quote, wannabe vampires, with their chalk white faces, the black lined eyes, the red blood lips, the dark Victorian era clothing, vampires is more than a fashion statement or a way to just thumb their noses to the establishment to their straight-laced parents. Some of these uh, are fixated on the darker side of life, uh, in the cultures means and uh, not just into bleak music and poetry. It's a kind of, I, listen, this is a girl. Her name is Sarah Kokar. She's a manager of the Sirens a Boutique that sells the clothing and stuff like these people are wearing. She's a, it's, it's, it's kind of the ideal of living forever and being immortal and stuff like that. 
Some, though, crossed the line from bizarre hobby to dangerous cult, quote, involving murderous fascination with death, pain, and drinking blood, which has led to a lot of people being killed. Like this video back in the day. Watch this. We did not reveal his name. That's been very recent. I think, again, because of the brutality of the killing here, the circumstances of the killing, the fact that he will be tried as an adult, not as a child, that is a huge signal in the legal system because most children under the age of 18, certainly under the age of 17, are given that presumption of being tried as a juvenile. The fact that the judge said, no, this kid is going as an adult, he could be up to life in prison, shows again, I think, a reflection of what a terrible crime this is. This woman happened upon, and it looked as well that she fought very, very desperately for her life. Some aspects of a goth lifestyle provoke, could they provoke such a murder? Joining me now from Portland, Oregon, I believe you're in Oregon, hi there, is Voltaire, the author of What is Goth? There's your book right there, Voltaire, and uh, good of you to join us tonight. Voltaire, what is goth? Oh, that is a, it can be a very complicated question because there is a lot to goth. But the simple answer is that goth is a kind of music that grew out of uh, punk rock in the late 70s. Punk rock was a, a very angry kind of music that says, I don't like this world, it makes me angry and I want to destroy it. And goth was uh, sort of the melancholy cousin. Okay, well, and Voltaire, we see a rather dark and melancholy shot of uh, the defendant, Scott Dileski. Uh, is this a goth look? Uh, you can argue that that's a goth look. Uh, I think there's so many goth looks that uh, it certainly doesn't come down to one. Is there, in some aspects of the goth movement, a satanic quality anywhere out there in the goth world? Did you explore that in your book? Um, you know, it, there may very well be people within the goth scene, because the goth scene really encompasses a lot of different tribes of people. And uh, there are some who may very well be Satanists, but there are also Satanists who are CEOs, and there are Satanists who are farmers. And uh, I, would have, I would say most of the goths I know are Christians, Jewish. I've met a few Muslim ones. I've met a few born-again Christian goths. And uh, probably a large, to a large degree, a lot right. of them are secular. Where do you start with that? First, drawing a distinction between Christian and born-again Christian. Isn't that supposed to be one and the same? What is going on there? Well, if you're a Christian, certainly a born-again Christian, if you want to emulate something, I don't know, I get this weird concept in my mind. How about Jesus? What's the word Christian mean? Follower of Christ. We follow Christ. And I've said this before. I don't care how long a person's been saved saying they're following Christ. Do you know how they're a mature follower of Christ? It's when they act like, speak like, walk like, talk like, live and love and forgive like Jesus Christ. That's what we're to emulate. That's, that's called being a mature Christian. But what do Christians do when they get involved in this? Now, again, sometimes, again, not every goth is a vampire, not every goth is a Satanist, but there is a lot in that community. And it doesn't always go well. This whole vampire thing, part of it is drinking blood. Now, the one guy figured out a scenario where he can get somebody to volunteer. So I'm sure they all get people to volunteer. No, this is the other reality that we've had to deal with, with witchcraft and Satanism and these other ones. They kidnap people. They do horrible things because they need to get blood, in this case, for their rituals. 
Just real quick, I'll show you just a couple quick example headlines. Man sentenced to 15 years in vampire cult murder. So-called vampire cult is now in court. Woman accused of luring teenage boy to his death claims to be a member of a vampire cult. Missing 16-year-old parents fear girl is involved in a vampire cult. Arizona vampires arrested for stabbing roommate for blood. And lesbian vampire jailed for sex killing. This is kind of gross, so listen to this. Again, anything goes. Do whatever you want to do. We accept anyone and everything. Remember, over 50% of Satanists are LGBTQ, XYZ, alphabet thing. Because that all of these things in the occult say you can do and be whatever you want to be. That's a big seduction. But listen to this one. A lesbian member of a blood-drinking vampire cult and her lover, lesbian lover, have been sentenced to life in prison for the sexually motivated murder of their housemate. They pleaded guilty to bludgeoning 16-year-old Stacy Mitchell's death with a concrete block. Judge Peter Blacksell said the murder was not only sexually perverse but evil after the court was told that the two lesbian lovers became aroused as they battered the teenage girl, then kissed while standing over her body as she lay dying. That's sick. But you know what we need to do? You know what we need to do? We need to live our best life now. Let's build up our self-esteem. Again! Like we do every week! And just smile and act like nothing's going on! Oh, and learn to be financially successful too. This is why, and we've seen with the other ones, this is why this stuff is going on. And it continues to go on. Where's the church? Including reaching out to these people. You reach out to them to get saved, they're not going to do this. That's the answer. Not hiding away. And again, for those who say, well, we don't need to be studying this stuff. Every single time in our study, we're on part 28. I have never once repeated a passage. I don't know if you know that. I did that on purpose to drill home the point that this is all over the Bible. And if you're going to be a Bible church, you've got to deal with all of it, including what we're talking about. But we still have people that I don't want to come and hear that. So you're basically saying, I want censored Christianity. And censored Christianity is not biblical Christianity. And censored Christianity is why this stuff is going on. And people are being murdered. This is not a joke. It leads to what's called the vampire underground. Why? Because, again, there's a lot of history, myth, folklore surrounding vampires. But from the Bram Stoker novel, Dracula, to the 1922 silent film, Nosferatu, you heard him mention it, the 1985 movie Fright Night and Rice's 1976 novel Interview with a Vampire and on and on it goes. What many are unaware is that today there are those who consider themselves vampires and there is a real vampire underground in this country and throughout the world. Direct quote. These vampires are not turning to bats, but they are people that do not consider themselves totally human. And their practices are either they do role playing games and fantasy back to the gaming community. Gathering at goth or similar type clubs on the weekends, being attracted to and involved in erotic practices associated with vampirism, as you saw in the article, being uh, uh, drawn into the occult dark side, uh, identify themselves as vampires uh, based on their own persona criteria, and, quote, believe they can gain special powers through blood drinking. Which leads to the final thing we'll deal with tonight, and that is the symbols of vampirism. 
Again, it's the exact same thing, similarities we saw with witchcraft, Satanism, the other ones, symbols, icons in the occult. They, they symbolize their belief system. And it's a way for them to, quote, mark their territory. Right? Remember when we went through the witchcraft and we did all the witchcraft stuff? We went through the Satanists, all the different symbolism there. And you're going like, wow, I didn't realize. And then you start looking around Vegas and you're going like, wow, that's what that was spray painted on that wall. Marking their territory. Or showing other ones involved in this where they meet. So the symbols codify their belief system. Uh, but it's also a way to mark their territory. Vampire symbols and icons communicate their beliefs. Uh, they range in different uh, uh, meanings. Spirituality could be uh, energy exchange. Uh, it could be uh, blood oaths, uh, symbolic rituals, symbolic to that. Uh, are, that's a, uh, many of them are uh, feature images that re are related to death or rebirth. Uh, uh, things like bats and spiders. Uh, there's formal symbols. There's talismans and charms uh, that they use for supposed protection or to gain better spiritual energy during their meditation and rituals and things of that nature. Uh, and it's to, quote, understanding these uh, symbols help us comprehend the vampire spirituality, their cultures, and the beliefs. And as you can see with that one right there, again, it's just entertainment. <laughs> what do you mean, legalistic? What do you mean, wacko Christians? Now, it encourages them to go along with this. It's nuts. In fact, we're going to deal with this, Lord willing, next time, the Hollywood connection of why this has escalated to the point of what we just saw tonight, a little teaser of it, basically. As crazy as it sounds. But, Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up on it, including so-called Christian vampirism and our politicians who also like drinking blood. I wonder who that is. Clintons, Clintons, Clintons. Who said Clinton? I don't know. You're going to see it. Lord willing, for so long, I'm still here. But let's get a teaser. Once again, this is the issue. This Hollywood stuff, when you compromise as a Christian, and dare I say as a Christian parent, you will reap what you sow. You better be very careful. Because we're going to see this, we're going to end on this interview, not only exposing, yes, it is, the Hollywood that gets you involved in the occult, vampirism, witchcraft, Satanism, the whole nine yards. This example is witchcraft, but same thing. But listen, this person was raised in a Christian home. And she tells what led her on her journey to embrace the occult instead of Christ initially until she got saved. Let's take a look at that. You were very heavily involved in witchcraft at one point in your life. Just really quickly, for people who don't know your testimony, who don't know your story, how did you get involved in witchcraft? Yeah, around the age of 13, I was uh, started to get depressed. I was being bullied at school. And even though I was in a Christian home, uh, my parents did the best that they could. I was so depressed, I just thought, if I would die, life would be better for everybody else. And so... During that time, I was connected with some girls, and I remember going to a sleepover, and they watched a movie called The Craft. And this movie came out uh, around 1996, and it was about four witches who were in high school. And these witches were bullied and picked on, and their lives were kind of messed up, and they used witchcraft to control situations around them and to get what they wanted. 
I watched the movie and I thought, I want that. Well, of course, in the movie, they went too far anyway and the witchcraft had turned against them and the girls were desperate to get out of it. But during that point, I didn't even see that ending. I just thought, oh, I won't go that far. I'm just gonna be innocent in it. And I began to study the religion of Wiccan and study um, different spells and incantations and new age practices and occult practices that I was doing in a Christian home that nobody knew I was doing. And so what started off as something innocent where I'm just connecting with energy and the universe and vibes and all these innocent things that we see took me down a path of just dark desperation. Um, I, I felt at one point that I was living in like a haunted house because I was hearing scratches on the wall right next to me. I would feel brushed by me and be terrified that somebody is here in the room with me. Someone's watching me. I've always felt like I was being watched. When I would wash my face for the day, it was one of the most terrifying things that I did. When I took a shower and I had to close my eyes, I was so terrified. If I had to get up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water, I would run because I thought something's gonna grab my feet. I was an adult at this point. And it took me far into drugs. Um, I ended up being homeless and on drugs in and out of jails and all kinds of things. For nine years of my life, I was really in a dark place. But you know, Jenny, it's so troubling to see that witchcraft and the occult uh, is really on the rise. I mean, we're seeing it in stores. We're seeing clothing promoting, hey, I'm a good witch or I'm a bad witch, you know. Right. Uh, we're seeing uh, even witches having workshops and retreats and all these things. Why do you think this has become so much more mainstream, so much more acceptable? I think media has done a, a good job of pushing something to the point where it is now normalized when back in the day something like that for you and I it would be shocking to see and now because we have shows as early as you know daycare age promoting witchcraft and sorcery and it's okay boys and girls say these spell words with us and it's so ABC preschool witchcraft that it gets into the hearts and the minds of people including the people in church and people who are, are not really connected with the Lord and don't understand, they're easily deceived. And the Bible talks about even the very elect will be deceived. And so people are going to a whole nother source. That's what they're, they're wanting. They want a healing crystal because mm. they don't understand that Jesus is the healer. And there's no other source that you can go to except through Jesus. And so by, I'm seeing a rise of this. I'm seeing it become very trending on TikTok and things like that. They're really? pushing the envelope. They want to yeah. see everything push the envelope. What's trendy? What's really shocking? What's going to get the attention of people? You know, they recreated that movie, The Craft, mm. in 2020. Really? They recreated the movie and they invited real witches on the set. And they had the witches before they would do a scene to cast spells and to invite the actresses to come into this circle with them while they were releasing spell words over the viewers and over the the scene. And oh they, they broadcast it and wrote articles like, isn't this amazing? We're getting real and raw with these real witches. And people are playing it in their home 
and it's entertainment. And you know, Charlene, I always say the first part of entertainment is enter. Enter. So be careful what's entering your home. And there's a whole generation of people who I feel like are being rocked to sleep by the enemy. And it's just really time for the church, like what you're doing, doing this interview, to sound the alarm and Absolutely. say, no, we need to wake up and we need to say, this is not right. And it's not for my home. It's not for my kids. And yet, you got Christians out there. They're getting ready to do another Harry Potter job. What? They're going to reboot the Twilight Series? Man, woo! While they attend the church and every Sunday. Learn to be a better you. Want to be financially successful? Want to wear these kind of jackets, people? I get them on Amazon. They're dirt cheap. Yeah, if I didn't say that, I'd get it on the internet. Right. See, I told you he's going woke. He's going woke. I get persecuted for just having fun. But anyway, and you wonder why this is escalating. Sad. And yet, again, I'll say it as we close. Where am I getting all this? Every single study. We have been all over the scripture, Old and New Testament. You know why? Because God does not want us involved in the occult. And he wants us to get equipped in his word in the knowledge of that. Not that we're going to get into it. Hopefully never. But we would be able to be at the point where we are comfortable enough with God's truth to reach out to anybody, no matter what they look like, no matter what they're into, instead of close the door in their face, avoid them on the street, or mock them. We need to share the gospel with them. That's the whole point. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. And I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, 
let's be honest, if you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior, if we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. 
The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.